Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery and addiction topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The views expressed here are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Welcome back. Uh, it's recovery, sort of, as it is every week. I'm Jason. I'm a guy with a Long Island iced tea. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Billy. I'm a person in long-term abstinence-based recovery. Awesome. And uh, so today we're going to, you know, recap some of these things that uh, we've been talking about. We're going to email with some questions in it. And we're going to, I believe, just take it a little bit easier on the topic. We've had a couple of really focused, topic-oriented uh, podcast lately, and, and I think we're just going to kind of relax today just a little bit. And so, you know, we went back, uh, we posted about the clarity statement and, and how AA doesn't really necessarily have a clarity statement, but they do have, you know, just the concept of like talk about alcohol and not drugs in their meetings. We posted that a couple of places on Twitter, Facebook, our normal spots. On Twitter, uh, somebody said in their NA group, they clarify that one doesn't need to say clean and sober or drugs and alcohol because it implies there's two separate diseases. And he said, however, the bisteptuals still say clean and sober. Um, and then they, they went on to say, same person, addict in recovery, said in an NA meeting, he refers to drugs as substances and refers to himself as an addict. But when he goes to AA for somebody's anniversary, they do say alcoholic and drinking. Um, so nothing out of the ordinary there. It seemed pretty respectful. Uh, yeah. So do you know, I don't know what that biceptual, is that what that they, was? They said bisteptuals. Oh, and I guess that means they go to both. Okay. I never like, heard that term before. I wasn't sure what they meant. So they must mean they go to both fellowships or they. I, I think, yeah, I think they almost made it up. Programs. Yeah, okay, like instead gotcha. of bisexuals, they work steps in both places. Ah, okay. Uh, yeah, I never heard that before. <laughs> so, yeah, me either. I thought it was a little it. clever. <laughs> yeah. uh, somebody else asked if I was talking about war stories or legitimate sharing. I guess they're both legitimate sharing. Um, my friend Brittany... Oh, this, so this was one of the interesting points that we definitely had about it. A friend of ours, Brittany, she said that when she first started coming around, there was a few groups that read it, and she can't remember that the last time she heard it at this point, because I guess it's faded out of, out of fashion in her area. But she said that she really liked it. So when she came around, she was uh, more, you know, she identified more because of the alcohol than anything. She just liked N.A., um, because she felt more comfortable there and had some friends there. And the clarity statement for her made her feel like she was in the right place. It didn't matter what she used or that she had only used alcohol. And so I thought that was an interesting, like, 
clarity statement in reverse. I had never heard that concept that it made somebody who only drank alcohol or mostly drank alcohol feel much more welcome because they didn't feel like they were different because of the alcohol. Have you ever like considered that? I <clears throat> no. I, that's actually a really good point. I guess what I think about, and I didn't mention this during that episode was we already have a reading where we say thinking of alcohol is different has caused a great many addicts <laughs> before coming to a fellowship of any, you know, many of us viewed alcohol separately, but we cannot afford to be confused. I mean, that is something that is already addressed in a reading that I'm pretty sure they read in most every meeting that I go to or have ever been. I'm sure some meetings don't because we are autonomous. Um, but yeah, that was the other thing, which we already sort of address that in a me- in a reading. Do we not, I guess, feel like that does it adequately enough? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I I guess for me, hearing her, I, what you're saying but yeah, that was a good point. Sense. Her point was very good. Yeah. Yeah, she just uh, she just celebrated too uh, Friday night down in Virginia. So congratulations, Brittany. Oh yeah, um, congratulations. Uh, May Day said different from meeting to meeting, even within her area. Uh, (laughs) So this was an interesting observation, and this is one person's observation. Uh, It said, frankly, meetings dominated by older white men have zero tolerance for drug discussion. Older white women are only a little better. Age 60 and under, both sexes somewhat better. Most try to focus on the recovery and not the addiction. So I'm assuming that's in an AA meeting. Um, But interesting to notice the demographic difference, at least as noticed by them. Uh, Anna talked about the clarity statement and they read it in her home group. Uh, but she said that generally the terminology suggested for people to come to their own understanding. And this is kind of what everybody got around to. Uh, Joe, Kim, Operation Recovery, Caldwell Counseling Center, Please Stay Home, uh, Recovery Man. Generally, what everybody came to the the sentiment of, at least on Twitter, was that it really isn't harmful to read. But if anybody uses that to justify making people feel unwelcome either during or after the meeting, that's shitty. Like to just read it and say, hey, this is what we do here uh, and go on with your meeting and not, you know, if people say clean and sober or whatever, like who gives a fuck what they say? It's just we read this statement because it's important to us. And I was yeah, like, okay. and that is that is a beautiful statement. You know, it's it's that's really the most important thing. It's like reading it. <clears throat> like I I agree with the words of it. I think it's a great reading. But I think when it's used in a way to correct or regulate people, that's when it gets bad. So yeah, yeah. We had actually remember. <laughs> Right after we got finished recording last week, we looked up some stuff, and I was like, "Damn, these are really fucking good points." And I don't even remember what they were at this point, uh, <laughs> but they were really good points. I was like, "Holy shit!" You know what? They might be in the in the text I sent you. I don't know. I'll see if I can come up with that while we're while we're doing this. Um, so uh, we did post this on you know a recovery page on Facebook, uh, and so Kirsten said that she really doesn't mind. You know, about the clarity statement, um, we all have the same problem. Something outside ourselves made our life unmanageable. I would completely agree with that. Um, 
And then Jenny said, I haven't listened to this episode yet, but did you know we don't identify as anything specific in recovery dharma? Jenny's our, our friend who mm-hmm. is eventually going to come tell us about recovery dharma. Uh, she just said, they just say their names, and even that's optional. Like, you don't even have to introduce yourself, I guess. You could just start talking. <laughs> hmm. I, might, I might go there. But she said that so many people do say their name and, you know, that they're an alcoholic or an addict just because it's, it's such a habitual thing to do for us. Hmm. And I completely get that because I am constantly not nervous, but... I'm just sure that one of these days I'm going to introduce myself in a school setting or a professional <laughs> setting at a group meeting or something. I'm an addict named Jason. It's such a habit. Yep, that's for sure. I know I've felt the same way. Uh, then our buddy David said, NA is too wordy in its literature and readings. Just my opinion. I, I really, I wanted to ask him if he also thought uh, the other fellowship was or not, but I, I never did get around to that, so... David, if you're listening, write in and tell us if you think that about every fellowship. <laughs> uh, do, 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 do. So we, there was another spot on Facebook. We posted it. Uh, Daniel said, we do not read the clarity statement at his home group, nor does he cut into anyone sharing to let them know we say clean here. We get a lot of people from treatment. And he didn't think that doing that is attractive. Anytime he shares in a meeting or he talks to people after a meeting, he sticks, you know, himself with NA lingo, but others come to their own decisions about how to do that. Uh, and so he, he can says he still considers himself somewhat of a newcomer and that he listens for people who speak and deliver a clear NA message uh, for people he wants in his network. And when he's looking for speakers. And so I think that's a, a pretty proactive way to deal with it to just basically talk about how you handle it. Right. Like he, he completely went to not what do other people do, but what do I do? It's I talk in NA lingo. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, the way I try to address it for myself is I just try to be mindful of how I address myself and introduce myself. And, you know, I, I think overall the fellowship has gotten uh, more, I'm going to use the word lenient. I don't know. Maybe that's more compassionate maybe is a better way to say it. I mean, you always hear the old school, you know, where the old school members would come in and tell people, you know, sit down and shut up. And if we want to hear how to get high, we'll talk to you and that kind of stuff. And everybody loves like that kind of stuff and they kind of chuckle and laugh. But I, I think that's faded away a lot. I think as a fellowship, you know, we tend to be a little more, compassionate nowadays and i think that is the same with the clarity statement i think it sort of um people are a little more understanding about it nowadays i hope (laughs) no no i definitely i think you're right um i did find that thing we found online i'll read it just real quick i don't know how relevant it is really but it says there are many related facilities and outside enterprises devoted to understanding addiction and aiding recovery like na Each has its particular primary purpose that is reflected in its literature and its message. While that purpose may be similar to ours, it will not be the same as ours because the organization is separate from us. We use NA literature and speakers in our meetings to help us fulfill NA's primary purpose. An NA group that uses another organization's literature or speakers endorses that organization's primary purpose, not ours. And so I think... uh, 
it was Caroline that originally posed that question about using outside speakers. And that is from our literature. Uh, she needs to know where she will ask. And I will tell her. Uh, and I thought that was, you know, that was interesting. So, you know, if we if we don't keep with our specific language, we do sort of lose our primary purpose to some extent. And I don't know. I, it was just interesting. Somebody else brought up the idea that, you know, love is an important spiritual principle when we're talking about, oh, hey, we need to love the newcomer and invite them in. And yet at the same time, it's not the only spiritual principle, right? And so there's some other ones that are important. And sometimes I think I lose sight of that. I don't know about other people, but I I can get so bogged down in this one spiritual principle that I'm focused on that I miss the bigger picture of like, like even if I said, hey, you know, the only way to go is to correct people, right? Because it's a spiritual principle of discipline and following our rules and blah, blah, blah. Like, well, then I'm missing the spiritual principle of love that says, hey, be inclusive and loving of everybody and don't, you know, yell at them when they do it wrong. And so I can get locked into one and sometimes I need to remember that there's a bunch of them. Yeah. And and I guess not that I want to go down this road too much, but I did think about Same. this. Um. When we talk about, you know, at least in Narcotics Anonymous, it says the Narcotics Anonymous message is that an addict, any addict, can stop using, lose the desire to use, and find a new way to live. So, you know, and I just thought, well, when we say any addict doesn't, you know, we'll say black addict, white addict, you know, Hispanic addict, lesbian addict, gay addict, you know, all these addicts. Well, then what do we care if it's alcoholic, sex addict, gambling addict, you know, we, what does it matter what they call themselves? We say any addict. So it's sort of like we almost are saying, well, we don't care what you call yourself or what you're here for. If you're an addict, we're here to help. That's kind of a, when I look at what our message is. And then when that, I guess it gets a little confusing in our primary purpose because, you know, our primary purpose isn't really to help any addict. I mean, just to be honest, it's I guess it can help any addict, but it's I don't think it's correct for someone to come in who's maybe a gambling addict and share a whole meeting about gambling. You know, so so no, we're we're narcotics uh, anonymous. Right. We're <laughs> we're about drugs. I mean, that's what we are. And I like that. I have nothing against that. I don't think we should change that. I think that's an important distinction. But maybe we need to be a little more clear about that. You know, maybe it would help in this in this modern day of everything's an addiction. You know, we have shopping addicts and food addicts and clothes addicts and, you know, all these other addicts. Maybe we need to sort of I mean, I guess probably back in the 50s and 60s, it wasn't you didn't have all these addictions like you have. Right, right. <laughs> and so, yeah, like because they're kind of I think that a lot of us who have struggled with the drug portion of it move into them as we get clean. Mm -hmm. and, and we say that our program and the steps can address those too. But yeah, I don't think we're the place to come if that's where you start. Like I, right. I agree with that. I think our, now don't we define addiction? It says what makes us addicts is not the drug, but our allergic reaction to it. And so I think we kind of, in our definition of what makes us addicts, do specify that it's about the substance to some extent. Not that it is the substance, but it's our reaction to a substance that mm -hmm. makes us an addict. And so when we, I think from our 
program's perspective. It's kind of like how uh, our definition of clean is different than maybe what somebody <clears throat> on, you know, methadone or Suboxone's definition of clean, right? They they also are clean, but according to our program, they're not. And like it, it really, not that our program is the be all end all on that statement. It's just that this program is a program of complete abstinence, right? It's not about that. And when we say complete abstinence and then, you know, we have pain medicine when we go through surgery and whatever else we might be doing, but it, uh, yeah. So the definitions are a little, I don't think there is a good one. And I have to watch myself because I belong to a couple of different, you know, Facebook recovery groups and stuff. And I see people post and it's like every time they, they word something a certain way. So one of them's a opioids something group and, you know, talks a lot about opioid addiction and stuff. And you'll constantly have people say things like I have been free from heroin for three years. And I'm like, mm. oh, that means you still drink and smoke pot. Like, I know what that means. <laughs> like, and right. I just in my head, you know, I always put those unfair judgments on people based on that language. You know, I've mm. been I've been sort of brainwashed into a certain a uh, certain view of language, you know, from going to, to one fellowship and sharing one common set of these words that we use and developing what I think is the correct uh, understanding of those words. So it's, it's interesting. And then you'll see people make comments about being in recovery, but still going out and drinking on the weekends and stuff like that. It just, it's funny. I, being in that group, I try to read that stuff mostly just to have a little more open mind and and to sort of get to see like, hey, you know, some of these words mean different things to different people. They don't mean exactly the same thing to to everyone. Yeah, and I think you make a very valid point. Uh, I don't want to say, you know, brainwashed into one belief system, but yeah, like that's been my exposure. And so my first inclination is right there with yours. Oh yeah. You're, you're still snorting Coke on the bathroom. Stalls, <laughs> right. right? Like, but right. the fact is uh, if I truly sat here and thought about it, uh, this guy might drink and smoke weed every day and might have been clean from heroin for four years and might be a much more productive member of society than he was. And he might be actually like loving on his children sometimes. And do I think he's in a better place? Absolutely. I do <laughs> like, right. Thank God you've been off heroin for four years, regardless of whatever it is you do. And that's, of course, usually most of their posts is how great their life's going three and four years off of heroin or methadone or opioid. Like say, this group's about opioids. So a lot of them will share their experience, you know, being off opioids. And I guess it's really good that they can find groups or places that support that because, you know, that's not what some of the 12-step fellowships you know, don't want to say allow that, but that's really frowned upon, you know? Right. Right. Uh, getting back to this post, uh, Elizabeth said uh, she identifies as an addict because she's did not have a problem with just alcohol, but assorted drugs. Uh, it's limiting. I don't call people out on it when they do it. Uh, or they say they're an alcoholic. I have friends in AA and out of respect, I must, she refers to herself as an alcoholic in their meetings. Uh, clarity statement does inform someone new. Uh, she respects and thanks AA for the traditions, but she's made a home in NA because the disease is so much bigger than a bottle. 
She says some are sober for multiple years and still smoke a little pot or take Valium as prescribed. Addicts can't do this. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, that was yeah. right. so. If you're mad, go talk to Elizabeth on Facebook because yeah. that is definitely not me. Uh, mm. Even though I have heard those stories. <laughs> yeah, not me either. Uh, Vic said. He thinks it's important when they read it as home group. When he was new, he truly believed that alcohol was different and used alcohol to try and stop using other drugs, which always took him to the same place. Uh, so I, I asked him if people actually listened and understood it. Uh, and he said that can be said for all the readings. There's usually commotion in the beginning, but eventually people get it. And, and I guess my question was, well, if they get it, do they get it because we read it or no? It's funny, I swear, uh, you know, my, my family, my wife, everybody in my life has told me that I'm like the devil's advocate or always contrary to what anybody says. And I notice that more and more. <laughs> I will sit here, we'll debate something for an hour and a half, and I am definitely on side A. And then I post this on Facebook and somebody takes side A and now I'm on side B arguing. <laughs> what the fuck? Why am I like this? I don't know. Um. What else we got here? So that was mostly about it. Somebody else, I, I did get in a conversation with somebody else. I don't know where it's at, so if they're listening, sorry. It was another interesting kind of back and forth about whether it was really useful or not. And Oh, they were talking about addicts and alcoholics being fundamentally different, and I that kind of blew my mind, so I was, like, really curious. <laughs> and I was yeah. asking them why, and they were saying that you could – he said if you gave alcoholics alcohol for 10 days straight, only like one in 10 would become an alcoholic. Or if you gave people alcohol for 10 days straight, one in 10 would become an alcoholic. But if you gave people heroin for 10 days straight, 10 out of 10 would be heroin addicts. And I was like, what? Like, I've never heard that kind of research. <laughs> no, and I, I don't agree with that either. I think that's, I mean, from what I've known, the scientific aspect of it, that's actually false. Yeah, and that's and and anecdotally, the evidence I have of that is completely false. Like I know people who tried heroin a couple of times and didn't like it. So mm. I don't know. I was curious, and then I was like, well, okay, even if that's true for heroin, what about like cocaine or marijuana? Like they're drugs that you can also come into our program and be an addict for. And he, I don't know, it just got convoluted from there. I don't think he ever really understood the point I was trying to make. But it was just I was so kind of baffled by what he said that I, I was interested. Um, and I think most people tend to, I can't say most people, a lot of people or some people tend to lump like, or confuse, I'll say addiction with uh, dependency, like chemical dependency mm -hmm. and think that those two things are the same. And because you can get, I mean, I would say, yes, if you gave anyone, heroin for 10 days or, you know, any kind of opiates for 10 days, they might become physically dependent on that drug, but that doesn't make them an addict. At least my understanding of what addiction is, you know, addiction and chemical dependency are two different things. This is like in all the research studies where they got to, at the beginning, define what they mean by their research word uh, for that particular study. And so I guess some people would define addiction as a chemical dependency right. i mean I, I think i heard that argument early in my in my treatment days like that, that there was that argument of what addiction was whether it was a dependency or whether it was you know more along the lines of what our program talks about like where it's not 
the substance or the dependency. It's more of our physical or our, you know, reaction to the substance, the way we react. Um, so another person, oh, I just wanted to thank this guy on Twitter, Sober Biker. I have no fucking idea who this is. Uh, maybe it's one of our friends. I have no idea. They, they showed a picture of fishing and uh, said they were out fishing, listening to recovery, sort of. And I appreciated yeah. that. That was nice. I said they were going to yeah. catch a headache. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then Selena sent us another email. She was talking about running a virtual 5K race mm. um, and listening to us. And so I thought that was interesting. She also talked about, you know, used to she used to be able to speak at the, the youth and recovery meeting, uh, and then she got old and they don't invite her anymore. Um, which I thought was funny, but uh, the whole virtual 5k race, and I've heard another running friend talk about these virtual races. And I, I'm almost like, there's a part of me that 10 years ago probably would have said that's the dumbest shit ever. And there's a part of me now that is so, I'm so impressed with it. Like all these people with our fancy electronic watches and stuff that GPS us, like people can literally go out and run a race in their area against other people all around the world. And they could do it at the same time. They could do it over time and compare. I just think that's so cool. And what I've learned about running is the race. It's not about like a race. Like we think of the Olympics, like nobody really gives a fuck who wins except, you know, the top 10 people in the world care, but everybody else is just running it because they enjoy running and it's a reason to, to train for it. But it's, I, I actually think it's really cool. I'm almost wondering, I'm like, damn, well, what do I do that I can get into virtually uh, more? Because I think virtual races is neat. Yeah, that's pretty. I, I wonder that sometimes, too. I've been doing some running since I was exercising. Well, not most recently, but before I was doing some running. And I have always wanted to do a 5K, but only if I felt like I could like win or finish really high. Like I... I've just never been a person that wants to go out and like, hey, I'm going to just run a 5K for the sake of running a 5K. I'm like, oh, no, if I'm going to do it, like I want to be competitive, like I want to be right in there. And so <laughs> it's interesting to to think about running a race that doesn't matter. Um, but then another thing I have heard before and I heard it again recently was about doing things that are hard just for the sake of doing it. Like <laughs> Doing things that are hard or difficult or challenging are good for your character. They're good for your spirit. They're good to help us just, you know, overcome uh, whatever we feel like our own personal limitations in our mind. Um, And so I thought, well, maybe that's a good reason to try to go out and run a 5K just to see if I can do it. You know, obviously, I think I can do it, but maybe just and it would be hard. So. Hmm. Maybe I should try a virtual 5K. That way, if I'm embarrassed, I don't have to let anybody know. <laughs> <laughs> that makes total sense. I So I don't know what the, the 5K running community is like. Um, the one individual I talked to that's a runner, it's more about the really long distance runs, uh, marathons and, and more, really, you know, ultra marathons for them in particular. But apparently that running community is really, really supportive. It's I guess very much in tune with kind of, you know, how our fellowship uh, can be very supportive for us. Like they have found a running community of people who, you know, because you're running such long distances, you got to, 
you know, pair up and have somebody sort of monitoring or watching you, or you frequently run, you know, at a pace around somebody who also runs around that pace and you stay together for long stretches mm-hmm. of run. And it's just really interesting. It's mostly encouraging and people build each other up. It's not about, you know, beating other people or being better. It's just about being supportive and everybody, we want everybody to finish. It's kind of cool how they do it. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I think it's an interesting concept. I'm wondering what else we could do virtually. I've obviously we do virtual meetings. Uh, I've seen, I just seen uh post Malone who, who's a, I guess a rapper, a singer, whatever you want to call him. him. There was a guitarist, a bassist and a drummer. And they looked like they were all in like different, I guess, States. I don't know, at least in different houses, they recorded a goddamn hour long concert together covering Nirvana songs. I'm like, what the hell? Like, that's pretty incredible what people are doing. Yeah. There's, and there's been a lot of different music stuff on that are, you know, similar to what you're talking about. Collaborations um, of musicians that aren't even in the same house, you know? Right. That's so cool. Uh, Yeah. There's, there's going to be some interesting, uh, results from all the online connectivity um, and the practice that we're getting right now, the sort of, what do you call that? When it's just thrown on us all of a sudden, you know, now people are improvising and learning and becoming creative and, and some of these things are going to stick, you know? Yeah. I don't often get the chance to use the word thrust, but we, this was thrust upon us. (laughs) Seize the opportunity to use that word. Uh, I ran the other day. We go outside and walk pretty much every day. And I've been trying to keep it a little interesting. I've, I've ridden my bike a couple times. Uh, and I running's hard, but I, I did it the other day. I got like 1.8 something miles. Um, it's it's tough. I'm still sore. This is like five days later. I'm still <laughs> like kind of recovering from a leg strain. Uh, if you don't run, don't go out and run 1.8 something miles because you will probably strain your, you know, your hamstring like I did it slightly. Uh, I don't know. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So uh, I guess we should probably just hit our, our break here um, while we have a nice little stop spot and then we'll come back and hit some, maybe some of those questions Julie had, or maybe, maybe we'll just ignore that altogether. I don't know what the fuck we'll do, but let's hit pause for a break real quick. This episode has been brought to you by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit grassroots recovery community organization located in Maryland. Voices of Hope is made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity and respect of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopececilmd.org and consider donating to our cause. All right, we're back. Uh, so we're going to get to some of these questions. We had a friend of ours, Julie, you know, sent us an email and had some questions. Uh, Julie is is not, from her uh, description in here, is not a member uh, of a particular 12-step program like NA or AA. She's... Uh, Yes, that's how it sounds. Uh, so the first question she had was, is it a requirement to remain anonymous or is everyone just anonymous by default? And it's your individual choice if you want to remain that way. I will let you feel that. OK, so I guess she would mean in public if you're a member of a 12 step fellowship and out in public, whether you want to remain anonymous. And I think in this understanding the spirit of anonymity 
it's best to uh, remain anonymous within uh, affiliation to a specific group. Um, the dangers of quote unquote outing yourself, you know, to the public um, are, of course, the stigma, the whatever you want to call it, rumors, the things people might say about you if you identify yourself as an addict, how that might impact you in different areas of your life. But it's also a protection for the fellowship itself that you're not a uh, spokesman or or a you know poster person of that particular fellowship. You mentioned uh, staying anonymous in public, and I just I you know sillily as always, my brain goes to can you be like anti anonymous in your house? Like, is that possible? <laughs> what do you put like a NA symbol on the front of your house or? Uh, I meant so, in your public statements. <laughs> right. No, I got you. Uh, she, she made a couple of statements later on in the email that kind of referred to as her understanding of addiction as somebody who's, I guess, dealt with some family members who might have struggled with that. She doesn't look at relapse as, as failure. Uh, and, you know, so her point was if people are <clears throat> breaking the stigma, say, like, you know, famous people and they're breaking the stigma by being members of 12 step programs and being, you know, out, so to speak about that. It wouldn't necessarily be that the program doesn't work. If they relapsed, it would just be, Hey, it's another person that's struggling all the more reason we still need to have these resources and continue to need these programs. And so I think that's great that that's her understanding. I don't necessarily know that that's going to be the, the across the board or the majority understanding. Uh, if you see someone famous, you know, use again after they've represented or told said they've been part of a program, if I was not part of the program, it's possible I could very easily think that program doesn't work. Uh, or worse yet, it might not even be about a relapse. What if, for whatever sake, the famous person doesn't relapse, but they get caught having sex with underage kids or something right like now everybody in our program is a pedophile right because that's what we do in the world is we just say it's everybody who associated with them must be just like them and known about it like and so i think that's where some of our our breaking anonymity can come into fear i guess for the average guy like you or me who maybe isn't so celebrity or important in in a large scale in that sense uh I, I don't know. I think I'm allowed to break my anonymity, just not at the level of press, radio, and film, to the best of my understanding, uh, which I am not a part of press, radio, or film, so that's pretty safe for me. Uh, I guess for me, and, and we kind of touched on this, I think, in the episode, it's it's more about what's the purpose. Like, am I trying to break my anonymity to seem special, or am I breaking my anonymity because I think it's going to be useful where I'm breaking it, right? Am I trying to be a resource for somebody or, or share my experience with them? Right. And if I'm sharing my experience with a friend or a family member or, you know, whatever coworker on a one-on-one -on -one situation, you know, I think that's very different than going into a, a, you know, let's say a health department or a public facility as a speaker or a representative of, you know, our particular group or fellowship. Like those are very different scenarios. And I think as you 
mentioned, you know, it's when we talk about at the level of press radio films, um, I think we're also talking about, you know, in these, I think the spirit of that is meant to be in like social or public gatherings centered around this stuff. And I think of like our health department and having, you know, local right now they do local community meetings and they do, you know, a opioid task force or addiction task force meetings that are sort of these public meetings. And I have to be very careful if I go in there and start identifying myself as a member of a specific fellowship or group. Yeah. And I I think that's another good point. Like we say at the beginning of this podcast that our, you know, opinions are our own, right? And and that's something that can get misconstrued. If I go into a a public policy meeting and I say, I'm in long-term recovery and your guys' ideas are fucking stupid, right? That's fine. If I go into a public policy meeting and I say, man, I'm here from Narcotics Anonymous and your policies are fucking stupid. Well, now I'm trying to give an opinion. Like that could be misconstrued as that NA has an opinion on their policies and NA does not have an opinion on their policies. They could give a fuck less. NA has no opinion on outside issues. That's their whole point. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it helps with clarity to, to kind of remain anonymous for the most part. But I agree. It's and I, and I think you've brought it up a few times that there's the anonymous movie that kind of was the attempt to, you know, how do we have a voice while also protecting these fellowships and programs. Yeah. And there's another danger to relapses and things that aren't specific to a program. I think when we talk about stigma and the stigma that comes with addiction or alcoholism or whatever, you know, our problem is um, the stigma that, you know, addicts never get better or they, just well there's no hope for addicts and i don't know that relapses are necessarily a reflection that the program itself doesn't work but it can definitely help to reinforce that idea that see addicts never really stay clean they might get it for a little bit but they always use again you know they're they're never going to make it um i think relapses do that harm more than anything. So when we're identifying ourselves as addicts in treatment now or addicts in recovery now or addicts that are in 12-step groups, um, and then we do have a relapse, which I think I agree with their comment. I don't think relapses should be shameful or, you know, it's, it's a part of what comes with addiction. If you're lucky enough to survive through it, you know, great, find recovery quick because people are dying rapidly nowadays. Um, but there definitely is a stigma that addicts will never get better. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, we keep saying it's funny because, uh, so Alcoholics Anonymous, Alcoholics are people and, and Gamblers Anonymous. Is it Gamblers Anonymous or Gambling Anonymous? I don't, I don't know. Sure. I just all thought they were about people and I feel like Narcotics Anonymous, we're, we're not narcotics. Like we're, we, we misnamed it. We should have, maybe should we be narcotaholics anonymous or something like yeah. <laughs> narcotics or drugs? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> her next question. Oh shit. Here we go. Uh, a woman I follow on Twitter said she really liked NA, but stopped going because they are against her use of Suboxone. Is NA as an organization against that? <laughs> I don't even want to fucking answer that. 
Well, we have a bulletin, I think it's number 35, that addresses that issue. Um, And it basically says that Narcotics Anonymous is an abstinence-based program and that drugs use like replacement therapy. What is that? DRTs, drug replacement therapies and uh, MATs are, are not. I don't know what the word, I don't want to say acceptable, but are, are not a form of recovery that we support, basically. And yet we've also addressed here that that bulletins are not, an, uh, you know, group sanctioned literature. They are just what a few people at the top have decided to get together in a room and write and have an opinion about. Right. Right. So does that mean NA is has a stance on it or is that just what, uh, you know? Some people at the top decided to put out a bulletin because we we do frequently, I think, look to them as the answers. But I think you made a good point in our other episode where that's not necessarily the belief of everyone or the majority. That's what we were told. That doesn't have to be our truth. Yeah, I would say there's a little difference, uh, at least I'll say anecdotally, in in what I know of. People in this specific area, I would say the majority do not support uh, drug replacement therapies as far as – now I say support. I, don't, I support drug replacement therapy. I think people that need it or people that want it or you know whatever, it's definitely a better option than using. I just think that is something very different from what we do in Narcotics Anonymous. You know, it's we again, just like we aren't a fellowship that addresses maybe other mental health issues. We aren't a fellowship that addresses gambling addiction. You know, we we can help in those areas, but that's not our primary purpose. That's not what we do. That's not what we're based on. Um, I think our primary purpose is abstinence based recovery. And that we don't have to have a negative judgment or negative opinion of people who are doing something different in order to say that is not what we do. That is not what we're about. That doesn't mean we have to dislike or be against or hate those people. That's just not specifically what we do. And I think uh, it's interesting how she asked the question, like, is NA as an organization? And I think it's really tough for NA members, much less anyone outside of NA to really understand the complete service structure, how it's not a, a normal business where it's not top down. There's not somebody at the top deciding right. how this works. Uh, the fellowship, the addict who goes and has a home group and, and has a vote, that's the top of the, the service structure. Like all those singular addicts who go and get a singular home group, the home groups all vote. And then that passes itself down like that information gets passed down to the people who are you know would normally be considered like the top of the service structure they're just there to do service for for people depending on what the vote is um and so that's a little tricky to understand but then if you go a little more into it i would say i agree with you Uh, anywhere i have lived uh which is you know the baltimore area and and now up here the pulse of meetings and and what people believe is that that's not part of being clean. 
I don't think that people are necessarily against it, right? I don't think that's a unified stance that like, oh, if you're on Suboxone or Methadone, just get the fuck out of the meeting. Like, I, that's not what I've heard. I've heard, hey, you're welcome. You're just not clean by our standards. You you can't get up and celebrate clean time, right? You, you can't really share uh, somewhat, honestly. Uh, so I, I think that's the interesting point that people who are on Suboxone or Methadone are probably looking for a place to participate. And we're not really the place for that. They're welcome to come. But... Uh, I would say the sentiment of NA is generally, no, we, we really don't want you to participate. We want you to hang out until you're ready to live like us, which is a little, you know, we're better than you, holier than thou. Like we, we kind of <laughs> think we're the next step up from where they're at. And uh, if you're not doing it this way, you're probably not doing it the right way. We appreciate where you're at. That's great. Keep coming back. Hopefully you'll get where we are. And so I, that's not a very loving place to be, honestly, but that is, I think, the heartbeat of where we stand as a fellowship. Yeah, and at the same time, I have known people that are in recovery, actively involved in different areas. Obviously, I'm not going to name any names, but I have known people that are actively involved in our service structure, that are actively involved in their local recovery communities, that are on suboxone specifically um i have heard you know of people sponsoring people that are on suboxone with years clean you know in a, in our area recently there was a discussion about you know a home group member went to their meeting and said i'm coming up on my two-year anniversary but i've been on suboxone the whole time am i allowed to celebrate um at the meeting and you know there's different things like that 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 happens. So there isn't a direct answer. Um, obviously I have my feelings about it. I wouldn't even say for myself personally that I think that I'm a step better than anyone on a maintenance program. I would just say, you know, with addiction, there's uh, different ways to achieve recovery. There's different ways to combat addiction and, you know, drug replacement therapy, therapies, methadone, suboxone, that's just one of them. Just like, you know, therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, group therapy. There's, there's many different things you can do outside of 12-step fellowships. We're, we don't corner the market on any of this. And our success rates aren't, you know, astounding to the point that we think we should have the corner on the market for sure. So, you know, I encourage it. Hey, find what works for you. And as long as you're making steps at improving your life, great. If things are getting better for you and you find something that works, awesome. Go for it. Have at it. I support you 100%. But that doesn't necessarily, you know, I'm going to say give you the right to, to come in to our group, which has a, what I'll say is pretty clearly defined uh, approach to how we want to address our addiction problem and say, well, you need to change your mind, you know, and, and change your program to suit me. Like, I don't, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And so that makes it tricky. So to kind of wrap 
what we've set up. I, I agree with you. I, I've seen somebody share that they just celebrated 10 years recently and eight and a half of that was on Suboxone and that kind of like the whole, like, I don't know. I thought half the meat was going to walk out. Uh, I've definitely seen somebody celebrate a year that I, I knew was on it. I, I think the problem lies in the fact that uh, it's really not encouraged for anyone to participate in our program if they're on a, a maintenance or a drug replacement therapy. Mm. Um, and I, I believe, and like, again, I've not taken a formal survey. I, I don't know across, you know, the world, if that is the way people feel about it, but definitely the places I have lived, that is what we believe is that, you know, to, in order to be clean, you are completely free from mind and mood altering substances. Uh, and we, we don't look at that as being clean or, you know, able to participate in our particular program. It's not so much of whether we're for it or against it, because really we don't have any opinion on that as a fellowship. Uh, but even as people, I don't think that I, I don't whatever, like I don't do whatever works for you. Right. I'm not for mm -hmm. or against it personally. It's just, yeah, I'm with you. It, it's not what our program is, is about. Uh, please feel free to form a program so that people can get help in that way. Uh, I don't know if that really answers the question or not. I guess NA as an organization is not against it, uh, but they're also not considered clean in NA. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Other thoughts she mentioned, uh, number three was if she hears the speakers from out of town, she's more likely to try to be there as she might not get to hear them again. And she likes to hear different perspectives other than those regular she's regularly exposed to. I guess that was talking about like our out of town speakers and if you are advertising or promoting um she mentioned that she she enjoys hearing enjoys hearing na speakers uh and so she does kind of like when they're advertised because it's not something she gets to hear very often and then you know she asked a question we kind of touched on this a little do people really blame na when someone relapses or does relapse really reflect poorly on na i think we kind of already touched that uh she said she wouldn't blame the doctor if an illness returned or the cancer came back. And so she can't get around her. She can't wrap her head around the idea that NA would be blamed for a relapse. I thought that's kind of an interesting way to put it. You know, I, I definitely wouldn't say that fucking doctor, he made that cancer come back or, or he didn't do it right. Like, no, it's obviously not the way it works. And I guess that goes back to, do you consider, you know, addiction and, and disease or not? <laughs> Well, I would say if you look at the way people would look at cancer, um, there's a sort of belief like, oh, you don't beat cancer when you get cancer. It's, you know, you're lucky if you live, but you never beat it, you know, and, and I would say, yeah, you look at addiction like that. You don't necessarily blame the doctor. You just think it's something that's a death sentence and addiction, you know, is the same. It's like you don't necessarily blame the fellowship or say it doesn't work. You just say, oh you know, once an addict, always an addict, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, and I, yeah, I don't, I don't want to say I don't disagree with that statement, but I don't disagree with it much differently than people mean it. Like people mean it. Like you're always going to be a piece of crap, I think. And, and my right. belief is more like what you said about cancer. Like I will have to, on a daily basis, take my, you know, air quote medicines to keep me from, you know, acting in this disease or living in this disease. Uh, 
So whatever that means on my daily basis. And I think we're going to get into what that means on my daily basis because you were talking about how this is affecting your life right now, your recovery, your life. Uh, yeah. So talking about the whole quarantine thing and how it's affected, you know, my quality of my recovery, um, a large part of my recovery support network is based on just personal, like one-on-one, uh, interactions, personal interactions with people. Um, my home group is a place that I look forward to going to, um, not even necessarily cause I think, Oh, I'm going to get this great recovery message, but it's like, these are guys that are my friends that I've known a long time. And the social aspect of that is, as important, if not more important than the actual message of recovery itself. Um, having those relationships, just, just being around other people that, you know, have shared values that aren't seeking uh, fun and enjoyment out of life through what substances they can use or how they can, you know, alter their mind and mood, you know, helps me, uh, be encouraged to continue in recovery, that sort of thing. And, you know, even like your and I relationship, for example, we were kind of meeting up at least once a week doing the podcast or getting out to a meeting and doing some things. And that's of course, obviously dropped off because we don't have those opportunities as much. And as a result, I find that my attitude towards recovery, um, I don't even know if my attitude towards recovery. So I think a lot of the values that are important in recovery start to sort of slide to the background, you know, and, and old behaviors of getting like locked into, you know, projects at home or locked into self-centeredness because I'm not being reminded those subtle reminders of, you know, Hey, I am a self-centered self-serving person by nature. Um, I tend to, to not be, the person that's best to make decisions for my life on a daily basis. Um, I need the influence of other people to help me make good decisions. Those kind of things, those aren't being reinforced on a regular basis right now. Cause I'm not getting to many meetings, not getting around my normal social network. And so slowly, but surely that self-centeredness creeps right back up. And then it's like, Hey, I'm just, you know, I'm not running my ideas by anybody. I'm just doing what I want to do and, and acting the way I want to act. And I don't see it coming, but I slowly become a person that I don't even like very much. Yeah. So I, I find that, uh, I find that partially true uh, and yet partially not true for me. Um, I've kind of, there's like a lot of time to reflect during all this. Um, and so one big question I have of myself is what does it say about me that I don't feel like this is affecting me at all, right? What, is it, what does it say about me that I am in really no real hurry to get back to whatever we used to call normal? Like I, I kind of enjoy all this time and being home and uh, I guess that would be different if I was working every day like you are. Like it probably doesn't feel all that different for you. Like to me, this is I just basically don't leave my house, uh, you know, except to go to the grocery store. And, and I I kind of love it. Um, 
And I don't know what that means about who I am as a person or, and I, and I'm trying to, I ask myself that I'm like, does this, am I, does that make me an introvert? Does that, I don't know what the fuck it means. Um, so that's an interesting aspect for me. I think another thing I'm kind of realizing, so I, I'm hitting a lot of meetings. So, okay. Before this started, I, I generally got to my home group each week. Uh, if there was a really important anniversary, it's possible I was able to make it to that. Um, but that, that's like my weekly meeting attendance, right. Uh, was my home group. And not that I don't do something for my recovery every day. Cause I do that. Right. But it wasn't meetings, so to speak, uh, frequently, at least six days a week, usually. And so I look at this and I say, I have hit way the fuck more meetings than that each week. Right. I, I, the past few weeks I've been in one almost every goddamn day, uh, this week, I think that might have been actually unhealthy. And so I've stepped back a little bit because I do some other online meeting stuff. I do a support group uh, for, for not us twice a week. And I, I have some other things I do. And so I was like, okay, I can't, I'm like wasting too much time trying to force these meetings into every day of my life. So let me step back a little bit. Um, but I'm still, you know, three, four, five meetings a week easily. Uh, and it's so easy to hit them that I'm like, damn, okay. So that part of my recovery increased. Um, I don't share as much in online meetings I'm noticing. Uh, and I don't know what that is. It's almost like if I go to a new area of the world in an online meeting, I'm shy all over again. It's like I, my whole shyness comes out and I don't want to talk. I just, I'm like, I'll just sit here and listen. I don't need to say anything. Um, I think one of the things you've pointed out and I, and I think it's a place I've struggled with. A lot of times we come to this, this podcast episode recording and we have all these new things to talk about, right? There's, there's stuff going on in our life. And I think you and I both frequently seek outside healthy input, uh, whether that's other podcasts that we listen to, whether that's audiobooks, whether that's something we're putting in these new, fresh, you know, self-help type ideas into our life and, and just, you know, assimilating them and thinking about them and, you know, things of that nature, I am struggling to find time to do that frequently. Like I have all this time to do stuff with my family. We're taking walks. I'm getting probably better daily exercise than I ever have before. And, but I'm struggling with the input of positive material and time for that. And so I'm wondering if that might be an area I'm struggling in that's not helping me. Like I can still get caught up in self-centeredness and, and wanting what I want. And so I'm not meditating uh, anywhere near as well as I, I was or often, I should say, I don't want to put a judgment quality on it uh, as well. I'm meditating horribly. No, I'm just not meditating. That's the problem. Uh, and, and I'm not inputting all these positive outside sources. And so I, I feel connected when we do this. I feel connected to you. Is it quite the same as being in person? No, it's not. Um, but it's, it's pretty cool. And I did another one last week, uh, not a podcast, but just a, a video chat with a buddy of mine from Baltimore. And we had a nice like hour and 15 minute chat and that felt really cool. And I'm like, I love these connections on video, which is crazy because I hated this shit two months ago. But what do you I mean, do, what part of it of this do you think it really is? Do you think it's just the not in person or? I think that's part of it. Um, I also know for myself over my history that I am a creature of habit. Um, you know, as an addict, that should be obvious, right? right. I, 
you know, I like to get into a routine and keep that routine all the time. You know, that's just my personality. I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't speak for all addicts on this. I'm just talking about Billy. Um, I am a person that likes routine and regularity and, and, you know, maybe cause I lack discipline. Um, but that's where I function best. You know, I get up in the morning. This is what I do. Then I go to work. Then I come home. Then I do this. If it was up to me, I'd probably have the same thing for dinner each week. Monday, we have this. Tuesday, we have that. Wednesday, they have that. It just makes my life easier. You know, it's it's less thinking, less uh, anxiety over this daily mundane stuff um, because I overthink simple things. You know what I mean? I can overthink, oh, what am I going to wear today? What am I going to, you know, what am I going to do for dinner later on? All that, those decisions you know, in my head get confusing and I put too much energy into it. So it's way easier when I am in a regular routine of this is what I do on this day. And this is how it goes, you know, with some subtle interjections of fun in there. (laughs) Um, And so I think some people are better at adapting to change than others. And I tend to struggle with it. Um, Usually I will eventually find my way. It just takes me a little longer and I am very resistant to it. Um, but I think identifying that and just owning it and, and trying to take responsibility for it helps. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at now. I'm like, you know, I, because my gut reaction is to be resistant. Like I am already to the point where I'm sort of saying to myself and even starting to say it out loud, like, fuck this quarantine, fuck these online meetings. I'm just going to call some people and invite them over the house. Um, I'm going to do some stuff, you know, socially with other people. I'm going to call up a friend and we'll get together. Like I'm already saying those things. Um, my, I have a relative that lives close yesterday. She had a birthday party for her daughter. My kids went, you know, they could walk over. So, Obviously, they weren't practicing social distancing because there was six or seven other kids and she had some friends over there. So, you know, and I was fine with that. So I could see myself already uh, becoming frustrated and annoyed. And I want to do my best to be responsible, you know, to follow the law, to follow, you know, what other people think, because I don't know. You know, I don't I don't know if what we're doing is right or wrong. Um, But right now, that's what we're told to do um as far as the why i don't like the online meetings i think for me just the personal in-person interactions are meaningful to me i don't necessarily know why but i feel the same way about phone conversations i can talk to people on the phone but it's not the same you know it just for me personally it's not the same um doing, you know, the online meetings or even this get together. Like I'm already like, ah, this sucks. We should be doing it at the center. Like fuck these, we could just meet and do it. Nobody will know and it'll be fine. And we'll go back to doing it in person. It'll be so much better. (laughs) That's just, that's the way that I feel about it. So we, we might be done the podcast right now because we spent 27 episodes of me being baffled by how you thought differently than me. Cause I think we're the same person. And finally episode <laughs> 28, 
We agree. Uh, I'm with you. The routine, the knowing what dinner is, the overthinking fucking simple decisions. I love it. I was like, yes, he's talking about me finally. Uh, so I, I've read this theory that maybe it's the the what they call cognitive dissonance of we think we're in person through this video chat, but our bodies are not receiving the energy uh, that usually transmit when we are in person. And so it's like the dissonance of our body expecting to get this energy transfer, you know, that it usually gets from this kind of interaction, but it's not. And so it's living in this, it's almost like the idea of motion sickness. Like your body feels like it's moving, but you can't see that you're moving or you don't have the input that you're moving. And so you get sick because your brain thinks you've been poisoned because the signals aren't matching up. And so it's kind of the same with this. Like we're, we're seeing people, we're having these conversations and our body's expecting this transfer of, of, you know, energy and input and it's not getting it. And so it's feeling out of whack due to it. Yeah. Makes sense. And that reminded me of something, uh, similar but a little different that I heard someone speaking about consciousness and that we always had this belief that consciousness was just something that was like in our brain, that it was inside of our heads and that as they understand consciousness, they're starting to understand that it actually sort of flows through our entire body. And, you know, it's consciousness is that, sense like when someone's standing like close behind you or whatever and you kind of feel them being there um that that's a extension of your consciousness or like you know sticking your hand out towards a wall and you with your eyes closed and you can almost feel the wall before you actually touch it like that that's your consciousness extends out you know in your body and that you know being in someone else's consciousness being in someone else's presence you know, there's a there's a energy behind that. So I'm struggling like you are with seeing other people live their life normally or, or doing things that seem like normal life and kind of wishing I could or I don't even know that I wish I could really. But I guess some of the stuff I, I want to be able to do what I want to be able to do when I want to be able to do it basically is what it comes down to. Um. But I, I look at stuff like you were talking about your kids going over to that party. And I think that part of our problem is there aren't immediate consequences for any of this, right? So your kids go to the party, they come back, nothing happened. Cool. I guess it's okay to do that, right? And, and it's almost like, so if, if I, trying to find an analogy, my neighbor has a, uh, a plumber come over and the plumber tells them how they should fix their, their waistline out of their toilet. And the neighbor's like, that's fucking stupid. The neighbor pipes their waistline out to the stream out back of our houses. Right. And then comes and tells me and says, man, that plumber was dumb as shit. I just piped my waistline right out to that stream. The shit goes right out in it washes right away. And I'm like, huh, I don't see any negative consequences. Let's all do that. And so now the whole town pipes their, their, you know, toilets out to the stream out back. Well, that shit's going somewhere, right? Downstream, obviously, to the next town, probably, where they get their drinking water or something. But we don't see that for a while. And so we just all think it's okay when, like, the plumber probably saw that coming because he was the expert. But we didn't want to listen to him. We just did what we thought was felt good and didn't seem to have consequences. And so that's where I, I like, you know, 
that's where I get concerned. I'm like, look, I don't, I'm not a biological contagion expert, right? I have no fucking clue. Uh, I, I barely know anything about biology at all, honestly. And so I can do what seems like it's going to be okay. And what doesn't seem to have consequences. I just worry about the, you know, we talked about it before that hard one experience. I'm not sure I want hard one experience in this area. Right. I, I want to just play it safe. I think. Yeah, and I think the lack of understanding on coronavirus, COVID-19, is part of the problem for me. You know, I can look at all around the world. There are different countries that have different approaches to how they're addressing this. And in countries that are having more lax restrictions and are putting it more on like personal responsibility. Um, they're, they have some of the same practices, but they haven't like shut down their whole country. They haven't shut down all their restaurants. They haven't shut down their social gatherings. Um, and they're not seeing negative health consequences. And then in this country, it's almost the reverse. Like we're, we've, you know, shut down all these things and we're doing all these uh, restrictions to try to mitigate the problem, but yet every day the numbers, I mean, now they're pretty staggering. We're up over 900,000 cases. We'll be at a million cases probably by the end of the week, you know, before we get into May, um, we'll be at a, th- a million cases and probably 60,000 plus deaths. And it's like, I thought we were trying to reduce the surge Um, I don't know that we're ever going to stop the spread of the virus. So I'm not sure why staying at home is helping that. (laughs) I don't know. Like say there's, there's just a lot of different information out there and, and I try to get it from different sources and different people have different approaches. Some of that are way less draconian that, seem to be having as good a results as we're having yeah it's and what you're saying is interesting like i've looked into some of this i I try not to dive too deeply into it because i'll lose my mind but uh i do i do think it's possible we're talking about opening up businesses you know based on the risk level and things like that and i think that's a a kind of a great idea there's places where you interact in more of a one-on-one basis that probably would not be that threatening to, to, you know, what you're speaking of, like to the spread of it. Um, I've read that there are some countries that have extremely low numbers or extremely low death rates, uh, but nobody, even though they have theories as to why that is, or, or, you know, they say, Hey, it could be because the way we're handling this, nobody really can prove that or, or is completely 100% sure that's true. Even the people inside of the country aren't really sure that's why it's going so well. And, and like, I guess if they knew it was, if there was this proven method, much more countries around the world would adopt it. Uh, and the fact is that we really don't understand a whole lot about this is, is what I'm thinking more and more is that we're, we're just really baffled by how this is working and, and what's going on. Um, I remember reading early on that if, if you weren't getting like a 12% positive rate when you tested, you weren't testing enough people. Uh, and that's what about should be the the right, you know, positive test. And every time I look at, at anywhere in the U.S. that's testing, it's like a, 
a 33% positive rate. And so I say yeah. we're, we're, we're really just testing super sick people at this point. We're not really yeah. testing to find out who has it. We're just testing people we're pretty sure have it. And yeah. And, and I was telling you, I have the anecdotal, you know, my, my friend who got sick like a month ago with this and had a really brutal time and, and, and she thought she might die. And then she got better and she's been better for like two weeks. And now she's on her deathbed again. And it's like, well, that's not my understanding of how this works. What the fuck? Like, what is real with this? And I, I said this to you before we, we got on the actual podcast, but listen, Disney World is shut the fuck down right now, right? Disney World, who makes billions from having people at their parks, is shut down and is not even thinking about opening up and is talking about not opening up until 2021. So you can say what you want about governments being overprotective or too reactive or, or people being stupid or whatever. If Disney World is turning away all these billions of dollars, right, there's a fucking reason. And, and to me, that I'm wondering if we're not almost not being told the extent of what we don't know because they don't want, you know, a global panic. But I, I think this shit's more dangerous than we realize. And I think that's why this company is forgoing all this money and everybody's kind of on board with fuck it, shut down. Like, I think there's more to this than we really know. Yeah. And I mean, again, I can see, I mean, I'm not a pandemic expert either. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I'm just trying to make common sense out of it. Right. But I can see like huge gatherings not being a good idea. I can see, you know, maybe we shouldn't be having concerts at our local concert venue where there's 30,000 or 40,000 people you know, crammed together, sharing bathrooms and space and all like that. That makes sense. You know, that's that's probably a good idea. But is going to the local restaurant or the gym like is that really the same thing as being locked in a facility with or not locked in, but being, you know, put in a facility with 50,000 people like, you know, I don't know. Um, the other thing I think is crazy about all this is you're right. We are only testing sick people. I mean, obviously if you look at all the testing centers, at least the ones that are opening up around Maryland, every one of them, you need a doctor's note before you can even go get a test. And right. if you call your doctor, which we did for two different occasions and said, Hey, you know, one was for my daughter when she was sick. They said, um, no, you don't need to be tested or anything. You probably, you might even have it, but we're not going to test you for it. It's like, well, what the fuck, you know, if you, and so we're not testing people unless they are high risk and, you know, probably have it. Yeah. And, and I believe you saw probably our friend David, uh, his, you know, little child had a high fever yeah. and they were in the hospital and they refused to test. Yeah. And so, it's like, damn. <laughs> yeah. There's misinformation there. And then there's, um, of course, rumors, but. I guess conspiracy theories, if you want to call it that, that, okay. So for hospitals right now, the funding, their, their income is way off because they've closed a lot of elective surgeries. They've canceled a lot of elective, you know, procedures, things like that. They're trying to really keep, you know, a minimum amount of what I'll call customers coming in. I guess patients is a better way. <laughs> They're trying to limit the amount of patients they have coming in, but yet they have completely ramped up 
you know, all these things like ventilators and emergency care and all that. So they have this drastically increased cost of operations and a drastically decreased clientele coming in. So what they're doing is they get more funding for COVID-19 patients under the CARES Act. So any confirmed case that they have, they get additional funding to, from Medicaid or Medicare, whichever one, to take care of that customer. So the rumor is anyone that even remotely shows signs and then dies of, let's say, a heart attack or something that has totally unrelated if they have it or possibly had it, they're just counting them as being a COVID-related death. So there's hmm. things like that that are being reported. Um, again, I don't have the evidence to say whether that's true or not, but they're saying that that's increasing the number of deaths related to the virus as well. That's possible. I, I, I mean, anything really is possible when it, when it comes to this. I, I'm sure I don't, like to just automatically exclude conspiracy theories. Uh, I get that sometimes governments can act in shady ways behind closed doors. I'm not going to say that doesn't happen. Uh, I will say I get lost a lot of times when people start going uh, a little into the conspiracy theory realm. It gets a little too much for me quickly, like real quickly, like when they're, oh my God, I don't even want to get into what I looked at the other day. Uh, it was it was out there um, for me. Maybe it was very normal. I don't know, but it seemed very out there. And so, I, like you, I just try to look at some common sense behaviors out of this, right? I try to put together little factors that I can. I'm not a biological expert whatsoever, so I try to look at information I do have and say what makes sense about this information. And so, like I said, if huge companies are forgoing money, look, people don't give up money. That's all I know, right? People in this world love money and they want more of it. And so for them to turn it away, that means something serious to me, right? For people to to shut down schools and stuff, like that seems really serious to me. And I guess I just look at the seriousness of the decisions we've made. And I say, that scares me because I don't see us making these kind of decisions over something that's you know, quoted as being just like the flu or a minor deal. Like that's decisions you make when shit's a really big deal. And would everybody going into a panic be a good idea? No. So maybe you don't tell everybody the whole of what you know, or maybe you just don't know. Like maybe you really have no fucking clue what this stuff does, how it's spread. You're like, look, keep six feet away and wear a fucking mask. That's the best ideas we got. <laughs> like, I, it just it, to see people give up money and, and make these drastic decisions to me says, damn, this must be fucking huge. Yeah, and not to get too far over this, but that is, I guess, the sad state of affairs. I think with most of our country now is that we really don't trust our government to tell us the truth or to give us the the information that we think is honest that we know our politicians have a tendency to just say whatever shit they think is gonna you know make the situation work best for them and that you know there really is no trust in the information coming out of them and on top of that with a lot of this virus stuff we do know for a fact that Reporting of cases has been inconsistent. Testing across states has been very inconsistent. The tests that are being used are, in you know, different depending on where you go and and 
whatnot. And the reported deaths has been inconsistent. Like different, there's different things in place in all these different states. So it's so, it is very scary. I do think personally, I think it's very serious. I think, you know, it's definitely way worse than the flu. I would agree with that. I don't think it's uh, so conspiracy that really it's nothing and that they're just trying to control us. I don't think any of that. I just think there's so much distrust of the government and distrust of the information that comes out of them on top of the fact that the information changes every couple days, weeks, you know, you're hearing something new that you didn't know before. Oh, now dogs can get it and cats can get it. And then it's like, well, shit, does that mean dogs and cats can transmit it to people? Or does that just mean they get it themselves? Are they getting the same thing as we have? Is my dog going to die? <laughs> like, you know, right. just all these little things creep out and then you're sent into a whole nother tailspin of information. Yeah, it's, it's tough. I think, uh, the best thing, uh, the best way to get information is a little bit of both. And that's another struggle. I feel like we get a lot of one-sided information. If you just listen to any particular news, like you almost have to seek out multiple news uh, sources or, or different news sources just to hear some opposite opinions because there's so, like, it seems like news sources just get to one opinion and stick with it. And it's almost like anything contrary to that. They just cut out of their, their news reporting. And it's like, I want to hear both. Like I want give me both sides. Let me decide for myself. Let me get all the information and put it together and figure something out. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to go too far in the the COVID direction. I'm sure everybody, uh, you know, has their news place to get it and, and talk about it. I think like you mentioned, it's just, this is affecting our lives. You know, for me, I will say I'm hitting more meetings. Uh, I'm getting more daily, uh, physical exercise, like aerobic type exercise. I mean, I, I used to go to the gym pretty regularly, but now I'm outside walking a couple miles each day or God, I think yesterday my thing said I walked like four and a half miles or I'm I'm running some of those days or I'm on my bike some of those days. That's shit I never had time for before. Mm-hmm. And like now it easily fits into my day. Um, I picked up my step work. I set the time to do that. And I'm doing that once a week at least, if not more, because there's extra time to do that. And So I just feel like a lot of things for me have increased. Like I said, the one who that hasn't is the inputting of you know, audiobooks and stuff, that's been tough to get to. I have done a little bit, but I'd like more. But yeah, I, I've increased a lot of positives. Uh, obviously, decreased social connection. What, what are you finding for you? I guess you're increasing some of your things around your house you're doing, some of your projects. Yeah, I am a busy person. I like to stay busy and doing things all the time. And maybe that's part of my social uh needs is that i like to be going out and doing things and participating in little league and meetings and whatever else is going on um and maybe that busyness comes from the social interactions and i just never really realized that that was a core part of it but uh, so now yeah i'm working on a lot of projects around the house basically just we ripped apart our bathroom and we've been doing some things outside when it's not raining and overcast, which has been every seems like every day this last couple of weeks, we got some sunshine yesterday. We got out in the yard and did a little bit of stuff. Um, but I have definitely fallen off on my physical exercise. Uh, I'm not really getting much other than the physical labor that I do, which, 
has been kind of a lot, but you know, it's not regular exercise routine. Um, meditation has been on or on and off, um, a lot because my, my meditation app actually expired. It was set to renew and I didn't want to pay for it. Basically it was a hundred and some dollars for the year. And I was like, ah, fuck that. I'm not, yeah, that's too much. I'm not paying that. And, uh, I did the typical, what happens with a lot of those subscriptions. I said, I'm going to let it lapse. I'm not going to pay it. And so it went from $119, I think it was. Then they sent me an offer for $99 for the year. And I said, nah, I'm still not going to pay $99. That's still too much. And then the other day they sent me an offer for $49 for the year. It was, you got 72 hours for $49. And I thought, eh, I'm willing to pay $49 for it. So I paid the $49 and <laughs> got my meditation app again for a year. Um, so, you know, meditation's been on and off, but I'm not in a normal routine. Like I don't even get up at the same time every morning. Some mornings I'm getting up at six, some I'm getting up at seven, some I'm getting up at five thirty. you know, I'm just, I'm all over the place. Right, right. I, I don't know. We did a, a fire last night out back, and it was nice. Um, but I was thinking, I was like, you know, Billy. Right before, well, it was a little while before all this started. You were talking about having a couple people <laughs> yeah. over on a, a night yeah. with a fire, and I was like, I wonder if Billy had a fire now. If I would go over there or not. <laughs> like, and, and that's so. I'm a guy who is trying to say like long suffering right patience is long suffering and it's putting up with what i don't want to do because it's for the best but i'm still sitting here like uh maybe i'd go over if you had a fire like i'll, I'll stay six feet away from people right. i can do that in a responsible way right right i don't know so you were talking we, we were mentioning something about suffering and i kind of i look at suffering you were saying as physical exertion that's what we were talking about running uh, and you were talking about physical exertion being like spiritual to an extent or good for the spirit, good for things like that. I've tr always tried to look at things that don't feel good uh, as that. Like almost when we, when we went to the sweat lodge before, it was like, hey, I almost want to put myself in this. I don't want to say painful or suffering type position because I think that increases my spiritual experience to me. Uh, things like that. I think that's why people fast. I've always considered fasting to be an option. Uh, things that are uncomfortable get me closer to my higher power, right? I'm almost forced to like seek out help because I'm in this situation that I don't like. Uh, and, I, and I'm kind of trying to use this as one of those two, as an opportunity to do things like fast if I really want to. But just the fact that I know this is definitely very first world suffering, right? My fucking comfy ass house with my <laughs> Wi-Fi and anything I want to please me and all the food in the world. Uh, but it's suffering to an extent. I can't do the things I want to do whenever I want to do them. And so I'm forced to kind of sit with that uncomfortability of not being able to do what I want. And I'm trying to use that as a, as a reason to get closer to my higher power. Yeah, that's maybe a good way to look at it. You know, I haven't really looked at it that way. I keep, I think, looking at it from the perspective of, all right, this is fucking ridiculous. This is going to end any time now. We're just going to be done and realize how stupid this is. And that is not happening. <laughs> so I think I have to come to the realization that, okay, this is a situation that's going to be uncomfortable for a little while longer. Um, because even as they're talking about opening things back up, it's not like 
in two weeks from now, just shit's going to be back to normal. Um, and maybe I need to look at it as, as, you know, I guess we hear about it as the opportunity. Um, you know, there's an opportunity here for growth and there's an opportunity here for me to face some uncomfortable feelings, uh, to do some difficult things and grow through it. I'm hoping you build a sweat lodge in your backyard while we go through all this. There's plenty of time. <laughs> and that would be much more convenient for me than, than the other place we've gone. <laughs> yeah. I would probably build a sauna. I don't know about a sweat lodge. <laughs> Either would work, I guess. Either would work. Yeah. You know, I was thinking uh, our kids, or my kids at least, I guess yours are on the same type of schedule. They're out till May 15th at this point. And, and like, I've had this nervousness that they might go back. I'm like, ah, that would be fucking awful. Like I'm really enjoying our life. I don't want them to go back. But I, I did realize yesterday I was talking with my wife uh, about it. And if they go back, uh, at least there's a break from them until summer hits, whenever that is. And I'm like, you know, that might not be awful either. Like they do kind of drive me crazy some days. I don't know. I, I guess I just want to be open to whatever it is. I, I keep having an opinion about what I want and then getting nervous that I'm not going to get what I want out of it. And like, really what I've wanted is I hope we just keep staying shut down. I love it. Right. Uh, but I keep hoping for that and getting nervous. I'm not going to get that. And so I need to get better in tune with just whatever it is. Right. If we go back to school and we all open back up, then that's what we do. If that's not what we do, then we stay in quarantine. If it's something in between, then we do that. Like, I just need to, I need to go with the flow. I need to third step it. Yeah. And I think that's exactly um, when I talk about my self-centeredness creeping back in, like this is the exact, you know, specific area where it's happening. It's like, I'm not getting what I want. It's not going the way I want. You know, our leaders aren't making the decisions that I think they should make. So now instead of just trying to accept things as they are, I am resisting and, you know, sort of pouting, throwing a temper tantrum, you know, being annoyed and disgusted. And, you know, it's like I want to take my ball and go home at this point. You know, you guys aren't doing what I want. This isn't going the way I want it to go. So fuck you guys. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to ignore what you say and do what I want to do. And, right. You know, that's that when I talk about self-centeredness, that's what, you know, that's my self-centeredness creeping back in. I think I know what's best. I think I know what I need to make me happy and I don't give a shit about anyone else. <laughs> hmm. No, no, that makes total sense. I, I'm with you. I, I definitely need to continue to get that external input, you know, and that's what I think could most help my life this week. Meditation and external, more external input. Maybe that's uh, yeah. my two focuses before we meet up next week. Yeah. Which I guess uh, that's is, is next week May. Are we on step five already? Oh, wow. Yeah, it will be May. I oh, think this is week. there anything to even say about step five? <laughs> no. Shortest podcast ever. Uh, just to make mention for anybody who normally listens on uh, the app right now as we're recording, not to get technical, but we're recording on video uh, software and I'm not editing it what-so-fucking-ever on video software. And so if you actually listen to us on YouTube, I, I would, I guess normally people would call it bonus material is on there. Uh, for us, it might be like penalty material to have to listen to an extra half an hour of us talking about what the fuck ever. Uh, but you're welcome to do that. If you want to look for us on YouTube, there's 
extra conversation that is not on the actual podcast episode that just I'm not editing out. So what the fuck? I don't know. It's probably not any more interesting than what we talk about here, but it's there. You got anything else you're thinking about today? No, that's it for my week. It's pretty, pretty unactive. <laughs> yeah, I haven't, uh, not much going on for me either, but I, I think it was good. I think we had a nice conversation today. I kind of enjoyed not having a, not having as much of a focused topic, I think was a little nice for a break. I don't, you know, I think it's nice to do a little of each. Uh, yep. So I enjoyed it, and I hope you guys did too, and we will look forward to doing this again next Sunday. See you then. That wraps up this episode. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your preferred platform. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to talk about or just want to add an opinion, contact us through Anchor, email us at recoverysortof at gmail.com, or find us on Twitter at recoverysortof.